you're worried about what somebody tweets about you, then you're going to live a long, miserable life filled with highs and lows. And the only things that should matter to you are that the people around you that you care about respect you, know that you're going to give it your all, and that the opinions of the people that you're around every day are what you want them to be. The opinions of people that you don't know shouldn't matter. So block it out. And do the people in this room trust you? Do they believe in you? Do they have a passion about you? Do they know that you're a worker? Do they know that you compete? Do they look at you and say, dang, that's my teammate. That's my guy. Or do they look at you and say, ah, he's halfway in. That's Arizona State first-year head coach Kenny Dillingham. He's our guest on an all-new episode of Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kanzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. Well, week 12 of the college football season brings us fantastic matchups in the Pac-12 conference. I'm John Canzano. I'm along with John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group. You can find my work at johnconzano.com. Wilner at pac12hotline.com. We have a big guest this week, uh, Kenny Dillingham, Arizona State football coach, youngest coach in America, 33 years old. Uh, John Wilner, why is Kenny Dillingham an important guest for us? Well, I think part of the reason I'm interested in talking to Kenny and have been now for, what, two and a half months is because what he has had to deal with, with the postseason ban, and as a he's first-year coach taking over his alma mater, dealing with an immense amount of roster turnover, dealing with a, a barrage of injuries, especially a quarterback and offensive line, and dealing with this postseason ban that his program gets hit with five days before the season. So I am just fascinated as to like, wh- what do you do? You're dealing ham. You're 33. Wh- where do you turn for advice? What do you fall back on as, as your model for dealing with a season like this? I think it's going to be fascinating. The guy is super passionate about ASU. Uh, I, I think it, it's going to be a fascinating interview. Yeah. I'm interested to, to know kind of the chess game that goes on. We watched him, Last week against UCLA, he ran the swing and gate 18 plays, and he did a really nice job of spreading the field out, putting his guys in position to make plays, got a lot of first downs, and kept some of UCLA's best defensive players on the sideline. It was it was masterful, and you know you don't want to you don't want to make a career out of that. But I watched Kenny Dillingham at Oregon call plays and put defenses in uncomfortable positions, and eager to see what he's thinking this week against Oregon and what he makes of that chess game. I want to give a shout-out to Pacific Seafood. They are a sponsor of the Kanzano and Wilner podcast, and uh, they do a fantastic job feeding the world. You can go online at pacificseafood.com and check out all of their wonderful and awesome seafood. I swear by them. You can uh, use the promo code Kanzano and Wilner at checkout, and it will get you 12% off. Pacific Seafood. So use Kanzano and Wilner at checkout, pacificseafood.com. Check them out. want to thank them for their sponsorship and and uh, also for the great seafood that they provide, for, you know, and they'll ship it right to you. Um, Wilner, All over the U.S. Yeah. They'll ship, no matter where you are, they're going to ship it. Yep. Products yeah. are frozen at peak of freshness, perfect for the holiday season, perfect for bowl season, college basketball season, any time. And uh, so, yeah, we should get to the Dillingham interview. And we've got a trivia question coming up at the Ooh, end. Ooh, trivia. As well. Trivia. Yep. I love I'm this. Gonna, I'm going to hit you. We'll see if you – we'll see. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test your knowledge. Okay. So I'm ready. We'll see. But we should uh, we should get to, uh, get to Kenny here. We're delighted to be joined today by Kenny Dillingham, Arizona State football coach, Arizona State alum, Phoenix native. Kenny, thanks so much for doing this. we got a ton to talk to you about. Uh, how's it, how's everything going? You're coming off a big win and you've got obviously a huge game coming up here Saturday against Oregon. Yeah. Um, you know, our guys are competing, they're battling, they've been doing it all year. Uh, you know, we've lost a lot of close games, which is normal in year one that you lose a lot of close games. And, uh, you know, I'm just happy that we've been in them. Uh, so we've been close. I'm, 
finally have started to learn how to win a little bit. You know, we've won two of our last three. So we've got an unbelievably tough task uh, this weekend going versus Oregon, which is, you know, a team that's fighting to play in the final four and it'd be a national title contender. So it'll be a great challenge. And certainly your connections to the Oregon program, something we would like to to kind of explore with you here. Uh, but I did want to ask first and foremost, because there was some big news out of, out of Tempe this week, your thoughts on Ray Anderson resigning as athletic director. Yeah. I mean, well, I, have a, you know, I thank Ray for giving me the opportunity to be the head coach here. I mean, he was the, the guy who hired me. He was the guy who, who gave me the opportunity to take over my alma mater, um, you know, and I just so thankful for that opportunity, you know, in order to get, you know, your quote unquote dream job, timing is so important and you may miss it once and the time's never right again. So uh, we're ready to give me this opportunity. I thank him. And uh, I know he's going to be successful in whatever he does next. You, you obviously, as a coach, you'll deal with a lot of different outside noise and distractions. And, you know, when you get a personnel thing like that that happens internally and, and hits that close to home, is that a conversation you have to have with, with your team? Or do you just kind of move on and, and talk, keep it to football with your guys? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I have a leadership council, uh, you know, of about 13 guys, 15 guys. And uh, I communicate big situations like that to those guys. Uh, and then I kind of gauge their reaction and go from there. So uh, for us, we're just focused on uh, this week. We're just focused on Oregon. So I don't think it had a big effect on our guys this week because, you know, they're they're very driven. And this program is about being the very best you can be all the time, 24-7. And I think that's what their main focus is. So I didn't really have to address it. Uh, you know, there's things that I've had to go to and been a part of. But other than that, you know, it hasn't really been been a distraction, if that's the question. Kenny, where did you find the blueprint to manage your guys this season, especially given what happened, you know, in late August with the postseason ban, right? I know, I'm sure you've got practice plans going back years and you've taken notes about what you've learned from, from other coaches, but like, where do you turn when something like that happens five days before your season starts? Yeah. I think for me, you know, what I've always been told from people is, you know, you're you. That's where people always tell me, like when I, they say, you're you, he's always going to be him. He's always going to be Kenny. He's not going to act any different. You know, it's going to get. And when everybody's always told me that, I've really taken that to heart in terms of just go with my gut with what I think is right and what I believe in. And you only get one opportunity to be a head coach. So are there a lot of mentors, specifically too, with Dan, who we play this week, and Mike Norvell, who a lot of our practice structure and the growth and the consistency that Mike Norvell brought during our first year at Florida State, first two years when we were struggling, but he was the same person every day with the same attitude, with the same message. So there's a lot of that that I learned from. Uh, and then you have to add your own way of doing things because I'm not Mike Norvell, I'm not Dan Lanning, and if I try to be them, I'm going to fail. I want to be the best version of me I can be and use the knowledge that I've learned from those guys uh, to kind of help me along the way. But to be honest, it's just walking in, putting a smile on people's faces, saying good morning, saying how are you, saying when they ask me how I'm doing, I say phenomenal every single time, and we roll. <laughs> And that's just how we operate. And we're going to get better every day. And I think that's the blueprint is don't worry about the outside noise. All you can truly control is right now. So control it. Kenny, give me an idea. You know, you come in and I think the thing that impressed me the most out of the gates was that, you know, your guys stayed engaged even when you weren't getting a result in some of those early games. That Your guys played hard and kept playing hard. And I, you know, and I think – that was really impressive. How do you manage that when you're, you know, when you're not getting the the reinforcement of all the work you're putting in during the week and keep a team engaged? Because we've seen some teams that will go sideways or a coach loses the locker room, and that didn't happen with you guys. No, honesty. You come in and you show them the mistakes that I made as a coach, show them the mistakes that they made as players that we made as a team, show them how we can get better, and then made them understand that football is process driven. And if you start getting so worried about the result that you lose focus on the process, you're never going to get anywhere. 
And that was really the message was, this is a process-driven scenario. It, it, there was four games in a row where if five plays are different, I mean, I don't know what our record, whatever the record would be backwards, right? We'd have a whole different record. Five plays, four games in a row. So are we really going to let five plays in a football game, which dictated the result, affect how we feel on Sunday, not on Monday? The answer is no. The result of Saturday should affect you Saturday night, Sunday morning, and then move on. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. And that will always be the message here. When we're winning championships here in a few years and our guys show up on Sunday or on Monday, I hope they had a good Saturday night. I hope we felt good. I hope the locker room was fun and that was a great moment. But now it's back to the process. So win or lose, the process is the same. I can't help but think when you use the word process, right? I mean, you you work for Dan Lanning. Dan Lanning works for Kirby Smart and Nick Saban. Smart also obviously works from Saban. And you hear Saban talking so much about the process in Tuscaloosa. Is there is there part of what you are doing with your process that that looks like what what's going on in in Athens and and Tuscaloosa? You think? I've never been there, but there is a part of us that looks like you know what Dan brought to Oregon, which obviously has some flair of that. And then I would say more, a bigger piece of what we look like is Florida State. I would say, you know, there's about 30 per, 40% Florida State, 20% Oregon, and 40% just me and my personality and what I know fits me in the culture that I want and the process that I want uh, to be a part of here. Uh, so I would say it's a mix, a mix of all three. Uh, but I don't care what program you're at. I don't care what you're doing. If you're so focused on the result and not focused on how to become the best version of yourself, the process that gets you there, then you're never going to hit the, re the result that you could hit. And I think that is literally, I, I tell them all the time, is if you're worried about what somebody tweets about you, then you're going to live a long, miserable life filled with highs and lows. And the only things that should matter to you are that the people around you that you care about respect you, know that you're going to give it your all, and that the opinions of the people that you're around every day are what you want them to be. The opinions of people that you don't know shouldn't matter. So block it out. And do the people in this room trust you? Do they believe in you? Do they have a passion about you? Do they know that you're a worker? Do they know that you compete? Do they look at you and say, dang, that's my teammate. That's my guy. Or do they look at you and say, ah, he's halfway in. And we're trying to get rid of all the people that people say, ah, he's halfway in. This season has been really interesting, and it's been fun to watch you. It was fun to watch you at Oregon. I mean, you always did some things that were outside the box. And But this season, you know, you're playing tight end. You're playing a running back at quarterback. You're running the swing and gate for 18 plays. Do you – you know, a lot of coaches wouldn't do that stuff. What is it about you and your your path to where you are that has you painting out lines a little bit? I've never cared what people thought about me. So I don't care what people think, if it's gimmicky or what people's opinions are. I am going to put our players in the best position to be successful. And if I think not blocking the arguably one of the best defensive lines in college football, the most disruptive statistically defensive line in college football, if I decide that not blocking those guys for 18 plays is going to give us the best chance to win, then I'm going to think I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to be scared to do it because it's not normal or I'm scared that if it doesn't work, I'm going to get backlash. I've never lived through feel, fear. I don't look at something and say, oh, what's the worst that can happen? I say, okay, what is the best that can happen? And what's the risk, obviously, of it? And if there's high reward and low risk, then why not take a chance even if it's even if it's a little unique? So uh, I'm always going to put our players in the best position that I believe to make them successful, whether it's conventional or unconventional. What would you say happened? What, what sideline or which side of the stadium do you sit on if – Oregon is playing Florida State in a playoff game, Kenny. I'm wearing a jersey that says Bo Travis. <laughs> so that's what I'm wearing, or Travis Nix, one of those things. So, uh, and I'll be rooting for offense in that game. Uh, I'll be rooting for a 199 score if that happens. But I will be at that game, you best believe. I will be at that football game if those two guys are uh, playing each other and I just have so happy for both those guys. I mean, it's it's pretty cool to watch. 
give me an idea with Bo Nix. You, you, when you know you, when he walks in the door from Auburn and he comes to Oregon, what were you working with? What did you have to focus on first with Bo to get him right? Uh, protections. You know, we spent a lot of time on uh, pass protections and how to protect yourself and how to not have to run around and how to get the ball out quick. He is such a good athlete that teams are always going to be scared of his athleticism and his talent. But if people could be scared of his ability to get the ball out and they couldn't blitz him and you have to form in rush, that's when Bo is scary because you can't sack him with four people. And you have to have an elite level of work ethic and intelligence in order to master protections and get the ball out fast. And that was really my entire goal that first year with him was you don't always have to make the big play and let's master protections and let's have you be the most comfortable quarterback in the country that gets the ball out fast than anybody in the country. And then the Bo Nix plays will be hap- will happen naturally because you're a special football player. Do you see where do you see year over year improvement from Bo? If anything, I mean, do you see him as the same same guy or better version of himself compared to last year? I think he just continued to build on last year. He's he's a more he was always confident, but I think he's doing the same process process again in terms of being in control of the offense, changing pros, getting into the correct plays. So I think anytime that you repeat a process, you're better the second time. So I think the fact that he is, I think uh, Coach Stein is doing a phenomenal job uh, playing to Bo's strengths and letting Bo Bo play free enough to still have that confidence and that on the field every time he takes a snap. And uh, I just see him a more confident version and uh, of what he was last year. And then obviously you get a lot of the wideouts back. So you're better timing, better communication. He has his brother now uh, playing in the slot on option routes. So they obviously have a connection. So I think you combine his growth and his just another year into it with the talent around him. Uh, and it's a very, very good combination for them. What has it been like for you this season? You, you know, you're an offensive guy. You, you, you go from Bo Nix to – you know, a lot of injuries, and you're having to MacGyver it right now with your guys at that position. What what has that been like for you as a play caller? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's it's exciting. I mean, it's I shouldn't say the word exciting. It's uh, it puts it puts a lot of onus on you to really be creative and not just be stuck in your ways. Not just say this is what I do offensively, so we're going to do it. Uh, and try to think outside the box and and try. I mean, we have seven healthy scholarship O-linemen right now. We got one back, which is, you know, that's nine less than you should and 10 less than a lot of teams have. And it's, okay, well, we still have to go play a football game. So what can we do to still put us in the best position to win, to play complimentary football? My entire career has been about scoring, scoring. How quickly can we score? If you look at our box scores now, we haven't really been scoring at a high rate, but our times of possession have been 36, 37. And I know that's a dying stat, but when you when you keep the ball away from the offense, it keeps your defense fresh. When you're playing good defense like we are, we have to play complimentary football. So it's more about getting first downs than touchdowns right now and, and uh, hope that you get points when you uh, move the ball productively. Kenny, could you take me back to – you know, you you, fir- you take the job at your alma mater, and your first task or one of your first tasks is putting together a staff. Did you have a blueprint for the the makeup of a coaching staff that would work specifically work at ASU, right? Because every every program has its own identity and strengths and weaknesses. What what kind of coaching staff did you think was going to best suit ASU at that moment in time? Yeah, first things first, good people. You know, our program is about our number one rule for our players and coaches in our program is on our wall, be a good person. And everybody knows what that means. So there's no gray area. So being a good person was one. Two, I wanted a balance of different areas that people were specialists in in recruiting. I wanted Arizona. I wanted California. I wanted Texas. And I wanted somebody with some uh, Utah slash Hawaii. 
uh, but the main three were California, Arizona, and Texas. So then you go to the type of person you want coaching. And I wanted people who, a lot of guys who grew up in high school or small ball, guys who came up the hard way, guys who were coaching D1AA, guys who were coaching D2 ball, guys who were coaching high school ball. Uh, and then I wanted to combine that with a few guys who have recruited and been at the higher levels, the Texases, the Oklahomas, uh, those types of levels, because the recruiting dynamic at that level is completely different than the recruiting dynamic at a, a D1AA or a D2 school. So I tried to put together a staff that was versatile in terms of where we could go in and recruit, combined with versatile in terms of our coaching backgrounds, small school, not as many resources compared to big school, lots of resources, uh, and kind of try to mesh that together. And what was your blueprint? You know, you're an offensive guy, so the biggest staff hire is the defensive coordinator. What was your blueprint or model for that position that, that led you to, to Brian Ward? To be honest, every game I've ever played on offense, I put together, I literally, this kind of sounds bad, but I, I put next to the D coordinator on, on Fridays, even before I play them, uh, just based off what they do defensively, I put uh, higher or not next to them. Like, is this a guy based off what I've seen on nine games of film that I'd potentially hire. And I've been doing that since I was 22, 23. Uh, and then I kind of moved the board around uh, as seasons progress. So I was always going to hire somebody I've at least uh, coached with or coached against and game plan first. Uh, and I felt when I played coach Ward last year, felt like what they did defensively was the hardest uh, him and one other guy were the two hardest guys I've ever gone first. Wow, really? Kenny, the the chess match during the games, we all see the stat sheet and we see the scoreboard. Take us inside that and make us smarter, make our listeners smarter. On a game day, you're not waiting till halftime to make an adjustment. You're not. You're adjusting what? Series to series, play to play? Take us through that. Yeah, I mean – Every, every side of the ball, every game is a little bit different. You know, some teams offensively are going to have a script that they're going to get through. So you on defense have to wait till they get through the script. So you got to figure out what are their best plays that they're going to call the first 10 plays of the game that they think are going to beat you. And then they're going to get into their normal calls they call every week. So you got to try to survive what's called the script. Uh, some guys will be repeat play callers. So if something works, you better coach it up on the sideline because you're going to see it again. Other guys, they'll never run the same play twice. So if something works, you don't even bring it up. You just go to the next thing that you anticipate them doing. Uh, defensively for us, you know, if you're a good defensive coordinator, you're going to make adjustments mid, you know, after a series. It's going to be – you can change your calls mid-series. So if we're beating a team who's playing quarters and we're running quarters beaters – they're going to mix up their call and go to thirds or one high mid-series. But if you get them trapped in a formation that you feel like you have them, then they're going to make an adjustment. And you've got to be ready the next series if you want to get back into that formation that you almost have to anticipate based off of what this guy has done or what their defensive rules are that, okay, the only thing that they can do to make an adjustment here, one of the few things are A, B, or C. And you have to prepare for the adjustment before their adjustment happens. And I think that's what makes coaches good is can you say, hey, we're getting the corner trapped to the boundary. They know that. They're not going let to us, let us do that next drive. Watch. They're going to flip the corner and they're going to full rotate their defense. That's their only answer to stay in the core of what they want to do. When they do that, we're going to run the ball back weak. And if you have that answer and your quarterback has that answer before the opponent plays that card, then you're just going to counter with the reverse card. And that's what you put people on there. But you got to have guys who can adjust. I mean, players, not, not staff. You got to have players that can process and execute those changes, right? You do. And part of that comes with being in a system. The longer you're in the system, the more games you play together, you can pull back with things. So you can say, hey, you guys, you guys remember last year versus – Cal, when we when we started running the play this way, and kids are smart, they'll be like, no, and then you draw it up and be like, oh, yeah, 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 we remember that. 
hey, that's what we're going to do if they do this. So the longer you're around, the more you get to pull from past experiences with guys and the more adjustments you can make. Kenny, the the recruiting game has changed over decades, but in your time in college football, you're you're directly dealing with athletes. How have the athletes you're recruiting changed and the things they're interested in changed? I mean, they've changed a little bit. Social media is obviously a big thing uh, for them. It wasn't really, you know, 12, 14 years ago. That wasn't as big of a thing, but it's definitely a big thing. You know, gratification from people they don't know uh, is really, in my opinion, the, the biggest change is people are chasing, you know, their happiness through people they don't know. Whereas 14 years ago, people were chasing the happiness through their peers. I want my peers to respect me. I want my peers to see that I am a good player or I make plays. Now they're looking for everybody else, the nation or everybody else on social media to see that. And honestly, the peer influence is less than it used to be. Somebody would rather get 100 retweets than let their buddy see them uh, make a big play on somebody if they have the choice. And I think that's the greatest challenge is trying to explain to the guys that it's still about the people who care about you. And I think if people understand that the people that care about you are the people that you want to impress, the people that care about you are the people that you want to perform for, um, and you can kind of block out that noise because I think that's the, that's the biggest change. Is that something you talk to kids about, whether it's high school recruits or guys in the portal? You know, do you kind of examine their tendencies with social media to figure out which guys are more likely to be able to block out that noise? Yeah. And I, I'm a big component of, uh, I'll say that at the same time, I'm a big component of social media. I think people should utilize it because it's a way to brand yourself, but there's a difference in using social media to brand yourself and using social media to get an emotional return. And if you're using social media to get an emotional return, that's scary. If you're using social media to brand yourself as your own individual company, name, image, and likeness, you know, and get people excited about you, I am all about it. I will help you. That is smart. So when I really look at guys, I look at it. What are they tweeting? Is it for people to say how great they are? Or are they tweeting stuff, something to create a brand for themselves? And that's my job as a coach when they get here to try to help them understand the difference is are you look, are you tweeting something to read the comments? Or are you tweeting something to get your name branded in a certain light? And uh, I really want to teach our guys how to use social media in a way that can help them, you know, at Arizona State and then when they graduate. Lot talk, a lot of talk about signs and sign stealing. And I know that's been part of football, baseball since the inception of those sports. But give us an idea just from a logistical standpoint. You know, if I get your signs, Kenny, what kind of advantage does that give me? versus, you know, you know, if if I know I'm cold, what kind of advantage do I have? Oh, significant. I mean, if you know run or pass, that's a significant advantage because if, if your defensive line can get out of a six technique and move out of a six technique from an attached tight end into a wide nine, if your two eye and your three technique can bump into a wide front, or if you can call pass <coughs> pressures, on first and 10 and not just third down, that's a significant advantage. So uh, it's part of the game. We switch up our signals all the time. Uh, we switch up who's live, who's not live. I think a big part of the game is everybody's probably got our signals. It's a matter of knowing who's live, when they're live, what means what, what signals did we change? So I think everybody's got our signals out there by now. And it's all about for us, mixing the signals, changing the hot guys, changing them in series. Are we going every other play is a different signaler? Every two plays? Is it a guy in a certain color hat? Like, that's our job to mix it up. That way teams can't get us. Kenny, let's say I am an Arizona State fan, lifetime Arizona State fan, right? And I know, oh, it's been called a sleeping giant for decades. And I've heard the reference to always something university. Why should I feel like, you know what, it is different this time. The Dillingham era is is going to take this program where it hasn't been consistently before. 
what what do you feel like you would tell ASU fans to get them to be behind your program at this point? Because I'm a Sun Devil and I want to be here. And when you want to be somewhere uh, in this profession, in this crazy world we live in in college football, when you actually want to be somewhere, you don't take shortcuts. A lot of jobs and a lot of a lot of coaches take jobs uh, as just this is a job on my way to my next job. So everything they do is how can I get to my next job faster? If I if there's a shortcut to take that allows me to win two more games this year, then I can get another job. I'm not going to take shortcuts. We're going to build it the right way. We're going to build it with people who want to be here, players who know the fight song here, players who sing the fight song here after we win. And we're going to do it by getting the entire Valley involved. We're going to do it by making the games exciting and fun, by making a Saturday afternoon, a Saturday night be the place to be. Where are you on Saturday night in the fall? You want to be at, at our facility. You want to be at our stadium, Mountain America Stadium, because it's going to be the most exciting thing happening in one of the largest cities in the country. So why right now? Uh, because we're going to build it for the long haul. We're not going to take shortcuts, and I'm passionate about this place. Kenny, we uh, we always ask our guests to, about advice they receive that they still draw upon. What pops into your mind when I say best, best advice you ever got? Best advice I've ever got. Stay true to who you are. So Pretty stay true to who you are. Don't let all everything else affect you. You got to the place you got to, wherever ever, anybody is in their life right now, you got there because of who you are. So once you get to where you think you wanted to be, stay true to who you are and stay the course. Love Kenny, that. I'm never going to get used to Mountain America Stadium. I got to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what we never talk about is we never talk about the stuff that, you know, coaches go through when they take a job. It, it becomes all about football. The family gets settled in. Was it nice to, you know, I know you when you were here, you you had a brand new baby and here in the state of Oregon and, and you know, you got to go back home. Yeah. I mean, we're back home. Obviously, my, my wife is thrilled. He has built in nannies all the time uh, with both of our grandparents. My sister lives here. So it was coming back, literally coming back home uh, was super natural and comfortable. And it was, you know, instant instant comfort uh seeing people that i know all the time randomly around the city uh walking in the store seeing people i went to high school with people i played little league with uh it's just that that piece of of this is what makes this place special is because i get texts from people i've known since i was four years old after games that i may have not that i haven't talked to in 10 years 15 years and now they're texting me after games and excited about the program and, and where we're going and stuff like that. You know, you can't put a price on it. And uh, that's what makes it special. Kenny, we should let you go. You got a, you got a decent sized game here to prepare for, but uh, thanks a ton. It's fascinating. I mean, it's been fascinating to watch you navigate this season because there's so many unusual pieces to what you're dealing with there. Uh, but thanks a ton for making time for us and, and certainly best of luck the last two games and with the, with the transition of the Big 12. I appreciate it. I appreciate y'all having me on. And uh, yeah, tune into the game. There'll be a lot of unique and fun things one more time. Mm. Peaked my interest now. All right. We're into it. Like nice I, marketing. I the teaser right there. <laughs> yeah. That's Thanks, Kenny. You guys really do. I just flipped the script. Yeah. Onside <laughs> kick, the opening kickoff. How about that? <laughs> I couldn't tell Dan if I was, but maybe we will. There you go. Kenny Dillingham, thank you. Thank you so much, Kenny. <laughs> thank you. Have a great day. All right. Take care. There he goes. Wilner. Um You can feel you can you can feel the energy, right? Just in a conversation that he is all in with ASU. He is he's all in with with every day, right? He is all in with every day. You can feel the energy in his voice. Uh he's all in with ASU. He's all in with football. Uh, it is. I, I can see why ASU fans are excited uh, about an, an era of football in which they've got somebody who bleeds ASU running their program. I, I sent him a message early in the season because they weren't getting a result. And I, but I was watching his team play, 
they were losing, and there was some question about whether they would even win a conference game. And I sent him a note because I was just really impressed with how hard his guys played, particularly in that Washington yeah. game that they almost won. They played hard. And it, it was really impressive to me because I've seen coaches who aren't getting the result week to week, and their teams will just sort of wilt at some point of the season. And, you know, we've all seen it. There's finger pointing, and they just stop playing hard. And Kenny Gillingham's teams have continued to play hard. I think you have to give him a lot of credit for that. And I think you're, it, it, gen, it, it, it ties, I think, directly to his enthusiasm and his connection and maybe that's an advantage of a guy being 33 years old and being a head coach. Yep, yep. And and wanting, really wanting to be where he is, right? They have. I mean, he was right when he made that reference to four games decided by a few bounces of the ball. They could have – they lost by three to Cal, lost by three to Colorado. Washington game was his one touchdown. And then, you know, the USC game – I think the final was like 42-28, something like that, but it was very it, yeah. close. Yep. You know, they they could easily be 500 or even even above 500, but that's also part of the process of rebuilding a program. You got a lot of new guys, a lot of inexperience, uh, you know, instability of quarterbacks of injuries, learning how to win is, you know, t- typical of of a first year uh rebuild. Let's get into our picks for the week. Uh, great interview with Dillingham. I love that we're getting getting the guests, and he's got a big game with Oregon, and we'll talk about that game. Uh, let's start with that game since we're on the topic. But let's go a little bit in inverse order here. Um, Oregon is playing Arizona State. They're at Arizona State, 1 o'clock Saturday on Fox. You heard him reference Dan Lanning. These guys are friends. Two youngest in the Pac-12 coaching against each other. I mentioned, you know, Arizona State last week had the swinging gate going. They beat UCLA. Kenny Dillingham's biggest win. They had, you know, it, it was uh, it was really interesting to watch that. But Oregon's a 23-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. Wilner, I, I'm going to take Arizona State and the 23-and-a-half. I think Oregon wins the game and wins it comfortably. But I, I'm looking for an Arizona State cover on this game. I am, too. I You know, I was trying to decide, is this a trap game for the Ducks? They just they beat SC. Obviously, that's a huge deal. And then they got the Beavers next week. And they're in great shape for the conference championship game and the playoff. Is this a trap for them? And I think it it might be, but I'm also not sure that Oregon is super susceptible to traps. But I, I just think that's a lot of points. And ASU's defense, you know, they went to Seattle and held Washington in a, what, one one touchdown offensively, I think it was. They, their defense is good enough to keep this thing close. I, I like the the – the Sun Devils in the 23 and a half as well. Yeah, and, and look, Oregon's still trying to get to the playoff, so I I still think they win this game by double digits, but the Utah game with Arizona is taking place at 11.30. It's earlier. There might be a little scoreboard watching because if Utah beats Arizona, Oregon clinches a spot in the championship game, and, and I'm not saying Oregon is in, a, a, you know, in jeopardy of possibly losing this game, but I could see them not covering. If if that's what you mean by trap, and you know, I have it like 35-14, 35-17, could be 35-20. I you know, I just I don't think they'll run away with it. I think the 23 and a half is awfully tempting. Yep, um, yep. And so Utah Arizona, that's eleven thirty Pacific kickoff, right? So ninety minutes before the Oregon ASU game. Arizona is at least they were a one point favorite. It might have ticked up a little. Uh what what do you see there? I Utah is really good. After a loss, I went back and looked at this because for me it was anecdotal and I kept thinking to myself, am I, am I just dreaming this up? But I looked at Utah since 2020. They are the best in the Pac-12 after a loss. They are 8-2 and two after losses and they outperform the spread by about eight points in those games. It's a, it's a culture thing. It's, it's, you know, tough team. Utah only typically loses to really good teams. You look at their losses this year. They have losses to Oregon, Washington, and Oregon State. They are response-driven. Arizona's good. They're enjoying a great season. I, I'm i picking Utah in this game. I think they win the game outright. Uh, if you want to give me a point, I'll take it. But I had it some like Utah by a touchdown. Yeah, I got Arizona partly because they've been so good against the spread, and I don't I want to I don't want to get in front of that train. But I also do wonder, too, this is a tough back-to-back assignment, right? You're in Seattle for for a, a tough, close game, and you got to turn around and go to Tucson, and Arizona's way better at the line of scrimmage than it has been. I just wonder, given all Utah's injuries, if, if they've got the 
the manpower to to hold up in the fourth quarter of what what should be a close game. So I I've got Arizona, but it it could be yeah. one of the best games of the weekend. And Arizona sure. must beat Utah to stay in contention for a Pac-12 championship yep. game berth, and simultaneously Utah has to beat Arizona. So it's an elimination game for somebody. Colorado yep. at Washington State. This is the Friday game. Let's back up. Seven thirty Friday night on FS1. Both of these teams are in hide. Washington State favored by four and a half. Who do you like? Well, you know, it's a little bit of a pick your poison, right? They're both in free fall. I've I picked Colorado just because I think Shadur Sanders is playing better than Cam Ward right now. I don't have a great feel because both teams are struggling so much. It's always hard. Friday road games are always hard. Uh, but, boy, I, I have not seen anything from Washington State that makes me think – they can play well enough on both sides of the ball. You know, they've had some good games on offense, some good games on defense, but they haven't played well enough on both sides of the ball. Uh, and Colorado almost, you know, they almost beat Arizona. They are, they're losing, but they're not necessarily playing that poorly. So I've got Colorado and the four and a half points. Yeah, I like Colorado and the four and a half. I, I think it's going to be a really close game, though. And I think the, the equalizer for me is the Friday night road game. I've been burned so many times by picking the road team in the Friday night games, and it, it's just a different animal. So I'm yep. going to say 31-30 Washington State, but I'll take Colorado in the four and a half, and I feel pretty good about that. I just think it's a really close game, and uh, and I think that it, that Washington State, somebody's breaking a losing streak. I mean, Washington State six in a row, Colorado four in a row. Yeah, um, somebody's going to be happy after that game, and obviously. and they both they both have to win out to get into a bowl game, and so the loser is eliminated. That's going to make them you know add to the desperation. Do you think uh, that the conference would relax the six win minimum for a bowl game if the network in a bowl game came out and said, "Hey, Colorado, we want to pay ten million dollars for you to play in in a bowl game"? And do you think that 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 they alter that rule? They could just because, you know, given the collapse of the league, you, you can't, you know, the old strategy doesn't necessarily apply. Or what if Washington State ends up one short of a bowl and has the opportunity? Wouldn't, wouldn't the other schools, enough other schools, uh, if the Cougars wanted to, you know, say, sure, we'll, we'll throw you a bone. You go ahead and play. I think that's certainly uh, a possibility. But, uh, you know, we got to see if either of these teams can even even get to – uh, five wins. Well, actually, one will get to five wins. Yeah, but it's going to be both have tough, tough finales, right? With the Huskies and and the Utes sitting there. UCLA, USC, twelve thirty Saturday, ABC. Chip Kelly's job status floating around in the background of this one. Um, look, uh, I like USC in the game. I, I think they cover the six and a half points. Thirty-eight twenty-four. Question is, what in the world do you think is going on with UCLA athletic director Martin Jarmon and Chip Kelly? I've never thought that Chip was on super solid footing there because, you know, the, a lot of fans have not been happy since his first season, and Jarmon didn't hire him, and they're going into the Big Ten, and I I think that the school is going to just essentially evaluate this not necessarily from the perspective of how many wins do they have. But is Chip the right guy to lead us into this crucial next season? First year in the Big Ten. It's going to be really important for UCLA football for many years thereafter. And I think that's going to be the big – certainly how they how they play in these last two games is going to have an impact on that. But to me, that's the underlying question for UCLA. Is are they convinced that Chip is the guy they want to have running the show going into the Big Ten? And I'm not sure that they think he is. I, I don't think Martin Jarmon thinks he is. And I think, you know, I had one Pac-12 athletic director from another school tell me, you know, I said, what do you think is going on at UCLA? And, and the AD said, quote, that AD coach relationship is icy. Um, but they extended him just last year after he went nine and three. And so I have to think that wasn't Jarmon. I have to think that that was the Wasserman family and Troy Aikman and the boosters at UCLA going, hey, we we're on board with this. And so they give him a raise. He's six point one million this year. Next year, six point two million three years after that. Weren't they crying poverty? Can UCLA afford to fire him and then and then go, well, we're going off to the Big Ten and. We're going to change. I don't know. It just seems weird to me. 
Yeah, I think that one key piece is that the you know the UCLA's financial exposure in that new contract is not you know uh, unmanageable, so to speak. They did a pretty good job of getting the thing, the buyout on on terms that they they can deal with. Uh, but certainly UCLA's financial situation is always something you kind of have to take into account. Who do you like in the game? I got USC covering the six. Oh, did I not? Yeah. yeah I, you know what? I got the Bruins. I'll take the Bruins and the points. Wow. I do think that their defense is pretty, is pretty good, good enough. It was a close game last year. Uh, rivalries. I'll, I'll take, I'll take that many points. Yeah. I mean, SC's defense is not, uh, UCLA doesn't have very good offense, but USC's defense is is just as bad, if not worse. Cal and Stanford in the big game. It's a fun one in the Bay Area. Games at Stanford, 3.30 Saturday, Pac-12 Network. Cal's a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Who do you like? Uh, ACC, a matchup of future ACC rivals, right? I've got Stanford. I'll take Stanford at six-and-a-half. I think that they – Cal's defense is just not good enough. Uh, it, it, but it could be high scoring. Could be pretty, actually, pretty entertaining. Cal can score this year. Can't really stop anybody. Uh, Stanford's defense not very good, but there have been some occasions where they've been able to to score some points. So, uh, you know, this is going to be close. I, I think it's going to be close. And and I've got Stanford in six and a half. You know, I I'm gonna. I think Cal's going to win this game. I think Cal's the better team. I think Cal's going to cover. I think they win by a touchdown, maybe ten points. I just like their offense better than I like Stanford. And I did, you know, maybe I'm a little biased because I saw Stanford play Oregon State last week and they just did not show up and Oregon State was on it. And the Bears also need to win this game and then beat UCLA to get bowl eligible. So they they still have a shot at that. I'll take the Bears in the big game and I'll take them to cover. Stanford Stanford got outscored against the two Oregon schools. I think it was 108 to 23, some incredible number they just got pounded by both of them so uh probably not too upset to to not have any scheduled games against either of those teams in the near future uh last game uh is the big arguably the biggest one of the day right washington at oregon state 430 on abc beavers are Two and a half point favorite last I checked, which tells you a lot about the job Jonathan Smith's done that Oregon State is favored against a team that hasn't lost in over a year. What do you what do you see here? Well, I think that is the biggest game and the best game. And I think it's the best game in the country. And it's a shame that ESPN College Game Day decided to run away from a big conversation they could have had about the Pac twelve and the future of college athletics and the ruling this week in Whitman County Superior Court and so they ran away from that discussion, and Kirk Herb is that why that you think that is that why game day is not there? Because I, I think a hundred percent. I think they're hiding behind the Jonas Brothers. They went to the Sun Belt Conference for crying out loud. I I think they probably felt like they dealt with the conversation involving the Pac two earlier in the season when they had that big dust up with Lee Corso and Pat McAfee and Jake Dickert, and I don't think they wanted any part of it. Think about it, Wilner. This is the last. Pac-12 game as we know it at Research Stadium. It's the it's the best game in the country. It's an undefeated Washington team against an Oregon State won 17 of 18 at home. Two teams in the top 11 in the college football playoff rankings, and they're going to James Madison in the Sun Belt Conference, and they got the Jonas Brothers. I mean, they just don't want any part of the conversation. I think it's 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 really telling and hypocritical. But I'm gonna be there. I'll be there, and I'll. Uh, I'll watch this thing, but, you know, I th- I think it's going to be a great game. Talk to Jonathan Smith this week about it in a one-on-one conversation. He said this is everything that he wanted when he came to Oregon State. He wanted to play in meaningful games and coach meaningful games in November. This is a big game. Oregon State, the line on this thing, Oregon State was a two-and-a-half-point underdog. They're now a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, I think the betters are right. And take a look. Home favorites since the start of the 2022 season, home favorites in the Pac-12 are 86 and seven, and the Beavers are 10 and 0 when they are favored and playing at home. I think Oregon State wins a close game. I'll take. I'll say I think it's something like 34-31. I think Michael Penix has some huge plays. I think they'll he'll hurt Oregon State down the field. But I think the Beavers are too physical and too good at home. I 
I don't disagree with your assessment of Oregon State. I am taking Washington and the points just because you got an undefeated team with a, an incredible quarterback and you can get points. Yeah. I will I will take that, you know, a uh, little bit of a contrarian move, but I think it's going to be like the Washington-Oregon game, right? It's going to be two minutes left. We're not going to know who's going to win, and it could end up being, a, you know, decided by a field goal. Wouldn't be surprised if it goes to overtime. I, I do think it is – it could end up being a little bit lower scoring than we think, right? The total is 63 and a half. I would not be surprised if this ends up being like 27, 24, 26, 24, something like that. Yeah. They played the game. They played at Husky stadium last year. I think it was 27, 24 and it was really windy. Yeah. And you know, here's another thing, like keep an eye on the weather. It's supposed to be wet. I would, I would assume that that uh, benefits Oregon state given Penix's uh, skill set. But I think this is going to be the kind of game where, like, you know, Adunze and Penix connect on, like, two 60- or 70-yard touchdown passes. And Oregon State, Damian Martinez and Deshaun Fenwick, you know, both combined for 200 yards rushing, and it's just a great game. This is this is a mini Pac-12 championship game, and I don't know if Oregon State's going to get there, but this is a big-time football game in the Pac-12. I, I, I like the Beavers. I don't blame you for taking the points. I think it's going to be a very close game. All right, so let's let's finish here with a trivia question. All right, here okay. you, you're you're on the spot. You ready? Okay, I'm ready. Pacific Seafood. <laughs> How many different bodies of water provide their seafood? Their awesome seafood. You you want to take a stab at that? I'll just guess. I'll guess uh, four. Four. Yeah. I can't actually, I'm not 100% sure, but here's what I know. <laughs> you can't ask a they trivia got, question not know the answer. <laughs> they have got Chilean sea bass. Okay. Pacific Pacific rockfish. Okay. They've got king salmon, gulf grouper, mm. Atlantic salmon, Alaska pollock, North Atlantic lobster. I mean, I think if you kind of break it down via oceanic regions, I mean, they got to have six or eight different areas covered with their selection of seafood. It's unbelievable. They are their assortment of offerings is phenomenal. It's high end stuff. We've used it. Uh, they are obviously the sponsor of this podcast, and so I want to give them a shout out to PacificSeafood.com is where you can find all of that great seafood that Wilner just mentioned, and you can locate the where to buy button and use the promo code. Kanzano and Wilner. Use it at checkout. You get 12% off your online purchase. So Pacific Seafood, want to thank them, thank their team, thank all the fishermen and uh, that, that company for providing and feeding uh, so many people. But, you know, every every summer we do our seafood boil, and they are it, it's basically presented by Pacific Seafood. So want to thank them for that. But use the promo code Kanzano and Wilner at checkout. You get 12% off your purchase. Uh, appreciate everybody listening to this podcast. Uh, we will be back with an all-new episode next week. Thank you, everybody.